I want to thank my sponsor, Viva. Viva, thank you so much for making this show possible. Viva is here to change the game. They have electronic regulatory documents for sites for free with no commitment, no contract. I just signed up my site, Yuma Clinical Trials. No contract needed, nothing signed. They they just approve your email address and that's it. You're up and running with an electronic regulatory system, which is a great way if you haven't gotten into electronic anything yet. You need to consider it. It's it's free. Over 450 sponsors are using Viva for their backend stuff. Electronic signatures here, electronic uh, delegation of authorities log, all for free. Viva is going to keep giving sites free stuff because they're very site-centric. They they know that if they help empower the sites, even more sponsors are going to use their paid products on their end. They are the sponsors after all, so they pay for things. And they understand that making sites take control of their electronic systems is a huge first step. It's a huge commitment for sites, even for something that's free. And they're here to make it easy, and they're playing the long game. And anyways, go check it out underneath the video or the show notes below. Viva Site Vault. Thank you, Viva Stuff, for Guru Nation. What is up with you guys and gals? Dan Svera here. I'm with CEO and co-founder of Versatrial, Mike Wenger. Um, I've been an advocate for them. I'm not sponsored by them. First of all, shout out to my sponsor, Viva. I feel like I have to wear the sweater interviewing you, even though you guys don't compete at all. But, you know, sites, the public, they just see two tech vendors. Eh, another tech vendor. Uh, but shout out to Viva for sponsoring this podcast. Uh, E-reg for free, sites.viva.com. It's, there's a difference as a site owner with n- no time for BS. Like, we, I have no time for BS, Mike. When I hear about something new, I want to hear, okay, is it actually good for the, me as a site owner? Is it free? Like, in many in many instances, you and Viva, Versatrail and Viva, you do have a lot in common, even though you do completely different things. Start with the same letter V. It was, <laughs> it's a good combo. Wow, what a concept, man. Like, it's also a tough business model and we can maybe get into some of that, whatever you're comfortable discussing, but, you know, coming off of the care access weekend, like the implosion that that was where you see a basically a tech vendor, um, make a turn for the worse, I guess. Like it's important in that group, all the tech vendors into the same category. And I think a lot of sites do this. Like even at conferences, you know, in my head, I'm like, all right, this is a site network. That's a CRO. Ooh, I definitely need to go there. Eh, these are vendors. Even though you guys all do different things, we're still like, yeah, these are just vendors. But there's another sponsor <laughs> right there. So uh, we need to separate the good ones from the bad ones. And the way I, I separate them is like, are they actually doing something good for the site? And are they monetizing are they trying to monetize the site? And doesn't mean they're bad if they are, but is it is there justification for that money spent? Uh, and in Versatrial's case, it's absolutely free. And I thought it was too good to be true. And then I had a demo with you guys. I was like, all right. But then we're using it every day. 
when I'm in the office training my staff, Mike, one of my coordinators might be lost. Hey, pull up Versatrel. I don't remember the name of the IRTDU for that study. I don't. I don't remember the IRB either, but it's on Versatrel. Go, go pull it up. My CRC told me the other day, thank you for sitting there and doing that with me. Now I see why it's important. Versatrel. So hats off to you, man. I didn't think we needed another bookmark thing, but hey, it actually works. <laughs> I, I it's it's funny. I um the very first day of, of Versa trial, I kind of had like the the idea on paper and kind of was was talking to some sites at a conference, uh, one of the site solution summit conferences um in uh in Austin. And uh I, I the the vendors wear a different color badge than the sites. And I could there's a bunch of sites sitting at you know at a lunch table and I kind of go up and I could just tell they like looked at the color and they're like, oh vendor, coming to sell us something. <laughs> I'm gonna sell and, stuff. <laughs> and I, I I didn't, you know, pitch a solution. I just spoke to some problems. I was like, hey, you know, do you guys, it seems like there's a topic, a, a, a talk just earlier about like all the portals and IRTs and EDCs and passwords. And immediately you speak to pain and then people can kind of say, yeah, like that, I feel that pain. Like that pain is real. It, it has cognitive load. It makes it really hard to train new folks. I have to go and hold my PI's hand to make sure that they can reset their password for the, the hundredth time. And it's just a lot of, like, I want to spend time with patients. I don't want to get bogged down and just getting into systems or figuring out where to go or getting new credentials for someone that just joined the team. Like that's just busy work that that gets a drag and hits on morale. And so uh, the the series of events is, you know, you, you identify the pain with someone uh, and then you kind of start to walk through like, okay, like here's like a solution. I had kind of a proof of concept prototype to put in front of them. And once you see something and, and it's simple and it like doesn't feel like, okay, that's a, a whole new change management heavy system, but it's like, oh, I was kind of already doing that as an individual, but now you're saying I can do that as a team and I get all these extra other benefits and it has the clinical research wrapper around it. Like that, that now feels like, why didn't someone else think of that? I, I hear that a lot. Like, oh, it's so simple. Why didn't someone else think about it? And so that's the next part of the conversation. And then they're sold. And then their face gets a little sad and they say, oh, but like, how much does it cost? Um, every time I've had this pitch with a site, immediately, like we don't, you know, we're budget limitations, totally understand the, the financial challenges of a, the cash flow of a, a site operation. And, and so to come in with, you know, a very expensive SaaS monthly subscription in, in this environment just doesn't make as much sense, especially if you have a tool that's really valuable for every site out there whether it's an academic medical center or a hospital, a small uh, brick and mortar site. Mm -hmm. So early on, we kind of identified, we went from, well, it's, let's do a pilot. Let's, you know, it's, it's free for now. Like we'll get back to you as we figure this out. We eventually made the commitment and said, you know, we want to do right by sites. We want to build something that sites love to use, that they choose to use. So we don't want, you know, expensive price tags to, to become a barrier. So we, we've turned the conversation around and we said, for all those early adopters that bought into what we we're trying to do at Versa, we said, can you help us build the business model together? We don't want to be the big, bad Facebook that comes in with like the free tool and then you become the product and we're going to sell your data. Like that's, that's not who we are. That's not what we're trying to do. But we need, um, obviously, to keep the lights on. And the, the ideal folks to come and keep the lights on is in, you know, there's this proven business model of going to pharma and CROs who have the larger budgets to work off of. But we need to come up with something that is valuable to them, that gives them 
you know, the competitive edge that they're looking for, but also sets you up for success as well as a site and doesn't add to your burden. And that's why what's really nice what we're going to market now with, with the pharmaceutical companies that we work with, it's, it's not a, you know, hey, you're going to add to the site's burden. We've already are doing something and implementing something that's reducing their burden, but you can now come in and even take that further and you can help them. Because today you're, you're throwing a lot of stuff at them over email and it's kind of a broken game of the telephone. Wouldn't you rather have a better way to hand off all of the credentials, all the systems that they need for your upcoming study in a way that's nicely packaged uh, and something that you can maintain over the course of study as things change rather than having this broken communication thing, uh, game of telephone where things are breaking down. And a lot of that was shaped by our early site adopters that said, you know, we're, we're going to help you build out this business model together. Mm, yeah, that's the way to go. Um, yeah, these studies are getting more complex as you're almost like in the perfect situation for this. I mean, there's more portals than ever being used on your average clinical trial. Um, and then what really Im impressed me was the feasibility aspect of Versatrial. Like I, <laughs> I was a happy Versatrial user just with the bookmarks. I didn't even realize till later there's feasibility component, which now I do every feasibility with it. It's almost like it's done automatically. I click a link and Versatrial knows that I'm doing a survey. Like this is amazing stuff. It sounds so simple. It can't be that easy to put together. So respect to you guys for making it smooth. Yeah, the feasibility was a fun one. Um, I didn't really... I knew about site selection, but I didn't know how much work was involved in completing feasibility questionnaires. The first time, I, you know, whether it's a small site where it's just the owner that's doing it off the side of their desk and they're the only one that can do it and, you know, they go on vacation and you don't get any feasibilities done. That's me. <laughs> or, it's, or it's the large site network that are employing eight people full time. Like it, it never, never, I never realized A, how long they are. On average, it's 92 questions per questionnaire, which is crazy. There are instances where it's, you know, 18, 20 pages of, of different surveys. Um, you know, it's it's delivered in different technologies. It's asking similarish questions and then study specific questions. And you have to kind of think through what you're doing. And, and then you just submit it and you, you don't hear it back or, you know, you eventually hear back. Maybe you are awarded the study or not. And so it just became very clear that this was, like, I think just the idea of what feasi like feasibility questionnaires is trying to do is a broken process. It's pharma and CROs trying to understand you as a site. And what's happening is they're trying to understand you the only way they can. They have to ask you questions. And when they get their answers, because of the you know competitive nature of all the pharma, they're not going to share those answers. Mm -hmm. And you as a site, you know, this is some sensitive information. So you're not broadcasting it on the on your, your website uh, publicly. But as a result, you have this many-to-many -many challenge where every pharma wants to talk to all the sites and every site has to talk to all the pharma. And the only way to do that is these online surveys with 92 questions. And then what it means is you have this snapshot in time where if I'm a, a pharma company and, and Dan, I send you a, a questionnaire today, I only understand Yuma clinical research on February 20th, snapshot in time. T tomorrow, if you add more capabilities, if you expand a new location, take uh -huh. on a new therapeutic area, add a negative 20 degree fridge, 
in the coming weeks and months, you're, you're a dynamic growing site. All of those things are going to happen. But me as a pharma, I'm going to be making site selection decisions off of old stale information from that snapshot in time. You're going to evolve. I'm going to make maybe some bad choices along the way, work with the wrong sites, work with the right sites. But like, I'm throwing so much burden on you to complete these questionnaires and every pharma is, yet we're still not getting the right data to make smart decisions. And so with Versatile, we're really trying to think through an elegant solution where if you support the sites in completing the questionnaires, it can unlock a lot of really interesting insights as those sites evolve over time and then allow with the site's consent, the ability to directly broadcast that to the pharmaceutical companies so that they know that you've added a new location and you're expanding well in advance of the next feasibility questionnaire that they send out the door. Right. And that, yeah. And that, you know, to make matters worse uh, or even more complex, I mean, therapeutic area, therapeutic indication, you know, these questions are often super specific to just like, you only need to know the answers uh, to some of these questions because of a particular protocol. Otherwise, it's irrelevant information, even if it's the same sponsor for another study. Like they'll ask even more super specific questions for that study, even if the same pharma. So, yeah, they're extremely complex. I think a lot of people don't understand that process, uh, you being one. But let's let's get back to your career, because, um, you know, I've I've learned to uh, look at the co-founders, founders, CEOs, track records. And in your case, Versatrial is not your first successful rodeo in this space. So you want to talk a little bit about your previous venture in this industry and um, kind of how that played out? Yeah, I've uh, been really fortunate to find um, a career that I love and an industry that I love. Um I'll, I'll take even one more step back of what kind of got me down the the path. Um, I've, I've shared this story uh, a couple of times, but uh, in college was kind of on a go to Wall Street, do the the finance type of job track. Uh, I was an economics major and uh, my senior year over winter break, I had some headaches, went to my doctor, ended up going to a neurologist and and within the, the next 48 hours was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And wow. went through a, like a very surreal in you know in hospital in New York City, kind of here's what a surgery is going to look like. You know the locations not we really don't want to do surgery. We don't know if the headaches and the tumor are linked, and we don't know how fast the tumor is growing. And so we'll we'll be monitoring over the coming months, and we'll we'll kind of figure out over the next three months what this your prognosis will be. And I just had this kind of not awakening, but, you know, a health scare gets you thinking differently about life. And I uh, went back to college, uh, finished up my senior year. Ultimately, the headaches were stress-related. Uh, they weren't linked to the tumor. Uh, the tumor was slow growing and, and not something that will affect me in my lifetime. So no surgery needed. Um, but for, for a period of time, it was very kind of like unsure what was going to happen. And I remember on the other side of it, just feeling so fortunate and knowing that, you know, kind of came out very lucky and recognized that a lot of other people might not have had as great of a, as good of a prognosis. And so just that, that got me thinking about health in general. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, I think it was just a, a year or two after that, I, I was really fortunate to get a, a job at the Michael J. Fox foundation for Parkinson's research. 
at a time when they were building out a new digital strategy team. And um, uh, the, the founder there, the co-founder, Debbie Brooks, amazing, amazing person. But I think at the time going into that, I, I always kind of viewed pharmaceutical companies as like the bad guys um, and, you know, big, bad pharma, make a lot of money. And when I worked at the foundation, she had a great kind of way of speaking to this, to donors and to staff around every, every drug, every vaccine, every cure, everything that has ever kind of progressed modern medicine has all been through pharmaceutical companies and biotechnology companies. And all has had to go through this, you know, 10 year billion dollar phase one, phase two, phase three, like there's, there's a process there. And so you have to choose either, are you going to be an outsider on that process? Kind of like, you know, shooting it down and complaining about it from the outside, or are you going to get involved and get in the mix and hold people accountable where they're making missteps? Like what you were talking about with Craig this morning, mm. but also recognize that, you know, you, you can't change things from the outside. You got to, got to be in there and be in the mix. And so that, that was really eye opening for me of clinical research. Drug companies aren't, aren't the bad guys, like the bad things happen, but they are a necessary part of progressing the next wave of treatments and cures for patients. And that, and that was exciting to me. So absolutely, uh, that wow. was a, a while back. And since then had some really interesting roles working in startups that had iPads and waiting room of doctor's offices and got to learn about the doctor workflow. And then most recently had a really nice uh, opportunity to, to help build out a two-sided marketplace that connected pharmaceutical companies and patient recruitment companies. And uh, it was through that lens that I kind of realized, man, sites have a really tough job. Every pharma is sending you technology. Like I was one of those portals that was getting sent to, to Dan to be like, hey, log into our portal to get our patient referrals. Thanks a lot, man. And you're like, Mike, I, I'm good. I, you know, I got a lot of other stuff going on. I don't remember your password. And Mike, these, these patients don't answer their phones, Mike. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, and, and I'm like, man, this is, you know, this is, this, it's tough to be a site. And so I started going to all the site conferences and got to spend and meet a lot of sites and make friends with folks at sites. And I, in starting Versatrial, just kind of said, every time I had been to one of the, the site solution summit conferences, it's, it's such an amazing experience because the transparency, the openness, the collaborative uh, DNA of sites is there. It's very different than like a, a pharma conference. But I think when it when it, in those moments where people are sharing about the challenges, there didn't seem to be a lot of people in the room with solutions or buildings or working towards building solutions. And it just felt like a every year it was like the same challenges coming up, up again and again. And the only folks that were coming in with solutions was, I'm a pharma and this is my solution or I'm a CRO and this is my solution. Right. But it was never a solution that worked for a site universally across your whole portfolio of studies, because you don't work with just one CRO or one pharma, you, you have 10, 20, however many. And so when they come with their solutions, it always felt like it was maybe helping them, but hurting you at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about, but it's no, not, absolutely. Yeah. The site burden has gotten, uh heavier every year uh every year that the busier the industry gets the heavier the site burden is the more complexity of these trials the heavier the site burden everything's kind of pushed on the sites right protocols getting more complex because sponsors want they're not they're not just okay with the primary endpoint they want exploratory endpoints now and ad nauseum 
as long as some sites out there say yes, we'll do it. It saves us money. Boom. But that means these assessments, usually these assessments have some kind of portal. So now you're just adding complexity, site burden, all this stuff. All this stuff falls onto the site. So whenever you have these tech solution providers, you know, us as site owners, we're very jaded. We're like, oh, yeah, another another one that's supposed to make our lives easier, but in reality, make it harder. Uh, that's why it's so unique when we find companies like Viva, like Versatrial, like Creo, which, by the way, Creo is not free, but I, I still think it reduces the site burden enough to where I pay for it out of my own pocket. So, no, you're spot on in your assessment. And I actually think we're just at the beginning of this stuff, because if we if we're at the beginning of this Next wave of innovation, you know, monoclonal antibodies, CRISPR, gene therapy, um, you've got mRNA platform, you got all this stuff, microbiome, anti-aging, there's so much stuff happening. But who's powering all of that? It's sites. And I take it even a step further. What do we really mean by sites? Like, let's be real. It's a coordinator. <laughs> like yeah. A coordinator is on the bottom of all this stuff, like lifting all this, you know, doing all this heavy lifting. What's what's so crazy to me is the the coordinator at the bottom is the most important person in the yeah. whole system. Like they, <laughs> and they, they don't are, even have a voice. They are the front lines that are building that rapport and the relationship with that patient that's coming in week after week, and so. What what's crazy to me, you know, it's it's early days for Versa trial, but you know, I, I I really believe that people in the industry, you know, have good intentions and things like that. I think it gets tough when I when I kind of go and talk to a pharma or a CEO and you're like, and we're like, look at the proof of like all the time we can help save a coordinator to make their lives better. And I and you know, some people that have sat in that role or have that empathy are like, oh yeah, I I can, you know, I can understand why that helps the site, but also why it helps me. But a lot of people kind of get a little selfish and like, well, what, you know, I'm, I'm pharma A, like what, how does that give me a competitive edge? Like, why does helping the site actually help me? And they, they have the disconnect between, you know, if I, like, it should just be obvious. Like if you help a site, you still help a coordinator save time. Like, what is that? What is the impact in your, in your perspective? If, if you can save a coordinator an hour or two a day, like, what does that mean in terms of their ability to have better time with the patient? They're going to do more for your study. Here's my answer to those dumb people that say that stuff. Number one, you've never been a coordinator. Number two, you have no idea how research works at the site level. And number three, you expletive. Don't you understand if you make your study easier for your coordinator, when the PI refers them to patients, one for one study and one for your study, and the coordinator only has time for one of those that day, guess which one they're screening? They're screening the one where it's easier for them. This is what happens. Like when push comes to shove, this is how decisions are made. Eventually that second patient gets screened no matter what. But don't you want to be first? Don't you want the majority of the coordinator's time, like their good energy when they're not tired, going to your screening and not the competitor's screening? That's why you need to focus on making life easier for these coordinators. They're executing your BS study with 10,000 exploratory endpoints. Yeah. 
I mean, the other thing that's crazy too is the just the amount of turnover. So, you know, pandemic took took its toll on everybody. It took, I think, a, an extra toll on folks in the research industry. You have the role of coordinator, which which get you know has all this tech that's being thrown at them and 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 all the the challenges of trying to do as many studies as they can. And then there's the allure to go become a CRA or you know other types of roles that they can grow into. So. What's your take on just the amount of turnover in that role in particular and what that means for more junior folks kind of coming in and picking up an important study and not being equipped with That's the right another thing. Yeah, exactly. You've thought this through, Mike. This is why you're successful and you're, you're going to be successful again. Exactly right. That you take it a step further. Turnover is going to happen regardless. There's no way like sites, you, you reach a limit at most sites of what a CRC can make. And there's only enough room to promote so many to site directors. I mean, not everybody can be a site director if you only have one site. <laughs> okay, so there's that's one role. So coordinators to double their salary, typically they go CRA and house CRA, whatever else, a data manager, whatever. That means a new person comes in, usually an MA or somebody fresh out of college. They're coming into this site, probably busy from day one. You know, hey, you got to go figure out this study. Patient comes at nine. Well, it's a lot easier to go pull up this bookmark and see, okay, well, this this study, these are the portals I need. Okay, these are, do I have access to this one? At least you can figure out, right? Like this maze of like, like the portal. Let's just first figure out what are the portals? Like, what are they? Number one, <laughs> can't do anything if you don't know where the portals are. What are they? And then even just getting access to them. Access, like, yeah. The, the other thing that's been just so interesting to me, because I, I talk with a lot of friends at CRA uh, at CROs as well, and it's like just the amount of lit, like the delay between the CRO knowing that that coordinator has left. They now know that that person has left. They now know who the replacement is. And let's go get them all the key credentials they need. Absolutely. And get them in. in your mind, what's that you know delay there look like? Weeks. Weeks at best. At best. And then, the amount, and then the amount of time on both ends of you trying to figure out, okay, what systems do they need and who do I have to ask for each study? Those folks then, you know, administering it back to you and, and then trying to even guess if you've, you know, has the account been activated? Did the did the reset password? Did the the did the link mm -hmm. uh, stop working? Mm -hmm. And then in the background of all of this, I I would very confidently say that a very large number of people that have left that site still have access to those systems because there's oh, not sure. a great feedback loop around this person has left and did we confirm that their their credentials have been removed? Right. And in fairness to us as site owners, like. We can only revoke access to the platforms we own. So right. like Creo, Viva, we can't, we have no control over the EDC. In our mind, it's the CRA's job when they see end date. They write in, I know because I've been a CRA. You put on your report, this person no longer active. You tell the sponsor internally, hey, please remove access. But that doesn't happen because CRAs are also busy and overworked too. It's, um, I love our industry because of the complexity involved, but the complexity creates just a lot of inefficiencies that make no sense in practice. Like if you could wave the magic wand, like what's crazy to me is 
there's a system that you are logging into as a site where you know you're logging to Creo on your end, so you have your staff there in Creo. Uh, but then a CRA who's working with CRA, they're logging into a completely different system where they have information about you and your staff and things like that. And so the amount of stuff that becomes two software technologies that don't talk to each other, which then get you know exported into Excel files, which then get you know reviewed and emailed back and forth and and phone calls. At the end of the day, what it means is there is someone that left the site six months ago that still has access to a system <laughs> because CRA didn't, you know, receive that email or they missed it or they overlooked it. Yeah. Now there's like a security concern, but it also meant that the amount of man hours just to get your new coordinator up and running on both ends was a very inefficient process. Yes. And That's the part where sites, I mean, we're, we're really busy now. I think this next decade, you know. Um, it's going to be busy and we're all blessed to be in this, in this industry. That's so rewarding. Um, but it's a lot of work at the same time. You know, I already know a sponsor that I'm never going to work with again, unless I'm desperate for a study and, um, patient, you know, therapeutic indication, perfect match at the time. Why? Because they put no thought, zero thought compared to the others as far as the coordinator burden, mm. they put zero thought into it. And I don't blame the CRO. I blame the sponsor for this case because I've used this CRO before and it's a completely different experience. So, you know, it even benefits the sponsors to make life easier for those CRCs from the perspective of getting the good sites. And by good, I mean, they have a track record of enrolling patients for your indication to want to work with you again. Like, the leverage is on the site's hands now. Yeah. You know, it's not on the sponsor's hand. There's there's way too many studies for all the sites to accommodate. It's almost like sponsors have to, like, you know, treat sites well. Like, what a concept. <laughs> I um, I talked to a lot of sponsors. I, I think there's a spectrum of, you know, on one end of the spectrum, which is is much more rare, is that that they don't have the empathy at all. Like you know, that's mm -hmm. unfortunate, but it is what it is. Like they've they've never sat in those shoes, and it and I st I'll never forget one person saying, you know, I think sites should suck it up and stop complaining, and <laughs> and I have password challenges, so they they have password challenges also. Right? <laughs> and like that just blew my mind. But I I think for in general, most pharma you know are not on that end of the spectrum. They have good intentions. They want to do right by sites. They just have a lot of priorities and things like a meetings that fill up their day like anyone else, but they don't have a lot of tools to actually do right by you. Like there's not a lot of winning software technologies or, or approaches that can like actually immediately reduce your burden. So they have to just do what they've always been doing. So um, I think like a lot of them will do like good intention things like, okay, well, let's, you know, let's build a site portal. Let's do... Let's do a site portal like that it helps sites. But then in practice, doing that is just yet one more e-thingy for you to log into that only works for that sponsor's study. Yep. Yep. Um, Absolutely. I have to do. There, there was like no alternative yet. It, it had good intentions behind it. I think shared investigator portal, a similar sort of example, like good intentions, you know, maybe not so great implementation, but like just the, the, the intentions were good, but the solution ultimately didn't pan out. Mm -hmm. where I think the other good uh, example is a lot of farm are now setting up site advisory boards. So we want to talk to sites. We want to build a relationship. 
But what I've been hearing from a lot of sites is, yeah, I'm on eight advisory boards, you know, like it, it's that many to many challenge. And like, we don't really solve a lot of my pain in those meetings. Like it's just kind of a little more superficial conversation. And I think those good intention formats are looking for ways to help you. They, there's just not a lot of options out there. It's it's good intention, but when the patient has to come in at 9 a.m. tomorrow, you know, that's when reality sets in, like good intention versus how do we actually implement this study visit and make it smooth for the coordinator. And unless we're okay as an industry with the CRCs kind of being like the med school resident where, <laughs> you know, they kind of just are told what to do and suck it up. I mean, it's just not a smart way to run your study when they're the workhorse of the study. So I think like big kudos to you guys, Viva, other tech vendors that are actually building solutions and actually listen to sites. I think, I hope we're seeing the beginning stages of that in our industry because it's the only thing that's going to make this sustainable. The The one theme that I think is like, also speaks to the complexity of the industry and why it's hard for progress to happen. If if you think about it, most industries, the company that is buying software is the user of the software. Right. So if you're, if you're a Fortune 500 company and you need a customer relationship management tool, a CRM, you are buying Salesforce. And if your staff don't like Salesforce, you are going to look for an alternative option and you're going to switch vendors. And so as a result, the best technology usually, you know, bubbles to the top. The problem in our industry is it's uh, risk averse. So no one's going to give it like the opportunity to brand new startup that doesn't have any logos on their slide. You have to like been in the market for a while, but then also it's the buyers of the software are the pharma companies and they are giving your CRC, your, you know, your new med school student, like five, 10 systems to use. But the pharmaceutical company staff have never logged in and never interacted with that software and never experienced whether or not it's good or bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's like a it's a disconnect, and it's so as a result, like there's two different customers, uh, three if you include the patients, right? Right, and then there's the you know the thing that's going to the patient. So as a result, like what I think is is you know the most unfortunate thing, I, and I, I saw some of the the funny posts that you and Brad have about like the recent conferences, like with Scope and DFARM and others. There's definitely an underrepresentation of sites at these things, and there is an overrepresentation of slick vendors that have good sales teams that are selling software to a buyer that will never use that software. Right. And the voice of the site is missing in those transactions. And so as a result, incumbents win and you know new plant comers get boxed out. And the folks that have the the best sales approach and takes people out to the nicest dinners like can kind of stay in business even if their technology is not effective, buggy, problematic. And I think what, what was the most telling experience I had recently is I, I was at a site and we, I said, hey, you know, of all the things this past month, what, what has taken the most out of your morale? Like, that's a good way of saying like, where is your pain? And it was like, oh, I, you know, I'm using this, this e-source vendor and uh, it's got a major bug that's preventing me from using it. And I, and I call, I was on tech support for an hour and a half while the patient was in the waiting room, couldn't figure it out. They told me I should just go restart my computer and that it was user error. I wrote up a document of all the steps to reproduce the bug. A week later, I sent it to my CRA when I was on the call with him. And he told me he would, you know, escalate it up the chain of command. And I never heard back. And I, I don't even think he's my CRA anymore. 
and I've been using paper for the past month because no one, no one came to help me. And like, this was one coordinator that was struggling with a, you know, technology that was not working as expected, but didn't have a way to communicate that, like, you know, to, to bring someone to help her. And then when I, in that conversation the, brought the pharma in to say, Hey, did you know that this was happening? And they were like, Oh, I, I, I'm three steps removed. Like I got a report, I get a report from the CRO. I don't talk to coordinators that often. I didn't know that this was a major issue. And you say, okay, well, if it's happening at this site, do you think, you know, this study is being run at 50 other locations. How many of those do you think this was a problem? And the person says, oh, dear God, I hope it was just this one. And that that's the the complex industry we're, we're living in. Where <laughs> buyers of software don't interact even with the users of those software and are creating pain for people that they don't ever interact with. Yeah, yeah. To them, it's just a box they can check off. Like, okay, we we see this as a problem. We paid for this solution. Problem solved, basically. Yeah. Until and if I don't hear about it, ignorance is bliss. Exactly. <laughs> and in the middle is this, you know, like a, a black, like a kind of a, a game of telephone, and, and no one's at fault to this. It's just the the system is complex. Where from that coordinator to that CRA to you know a report to to yeah. the pharma, that like that's not. That's not real time. That's not a full picture. There's always going to be inefficiencies that could be fixed that that go unseen as a result of that process. Do you think there's going to be a slowdown of pharma spending on tech solutions? Like, Given the, the recent events of this past week or just in general? Not just care access, but just in general. I mean, what you just said, like most of these things don't work as advertised. How much longer is this like blank check going to keep getting signed? I, I hope, I hope, I, I mean, I'm a software developer by trade. So <laughs> For I, you, that's good. <laughs> I, I, I hope, I hope someone's spending money on technology, but I, I, I'm a firm believer that I think the best product should always win. Like whether that's our product or not, like I, I think the companies should live and die by the quality of their products and the ability to improve those products over time. If you told me today, you know, when I look at the industry and it's like, there's a 10 year old technology that has not changed a lot over the past 10 years, yet they are still like the incumbent in the space and no newcomers can come and challenge them. That to me feels like one of the main reasons why our industry can't progress and, and leap forward as fast as other industries have because innovation slows down. Innovation dies there. Um, mm -hmm. It uh, It's... It's really interesting because I, I can understand why people don't want to take chances on new technology or new solutions, right? Like yeah, one one setback, like you, you know, there's so much work and effort goes into research. But at the same time, if you know that things aren't weren't working 15 years ago, and you know, the cost involved in, in research and the amount of time involved, and if what we're doing today is the same as what we're doing 15 years ago, then we all lose. So at a certain point, there are reasonable investments to make, reasonable new solutions to try. And, and the only way to really do that is to not just be like, like I, I'm. it's very unfortunate, but most pharma companies will just say, do we already have, you know, an MSA in place with you? Do we like, are we already, are we already partners? And if not, it's not worth working with you. Like, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Like that to me is just a broken system where it, it just, again, rewards the incumbents, can make them complacent. Uh, there needs to be a, a better way to to on-ramp innovative ideas. And I think innovative ideas, especially that bring the the value proposition to sites, 
because they're going to continue to be just as important as ever. Um, and right now, I think a lot of pharma aren't as familiar with even what the challenges of their sites are and are building solutions in a different room and then coming and giving you a solution rather than actually co-developing it alongside you. Yeah. And I wonder how much of this is the CRO responsibility, right? Because the line is blurred. It's not like they operate in a vacuum. I mean, CROs build their own in-house tech as well to sell. And yeah. I mean, so far that I know, none of it's competing with Versatrial or Viva, but you know, they're also tech companies as well, like to stay relevant. So it's almost like it's expediting the whole uh let's find another solution or let's just get this because everyone else is doing it and we'll accept the mediocre ones uh just because it's kind of the status quo yeah i i, I think you know cro's are a key part of our industry mm. um some cro's have their own technology some you know work with technology vendors i i think the where I where I think there's opportunities whenever I hear about, well, you know, different systems and the lack of interoperability. And I think as an industry, there's just so many technologies that are point solutions. Like just, just the number of acronyms we have to keep track of it. Mm -hmm. EDC versus IRT versus EPRO. Versus, like each of those acronyms has 10, 20, 30, 40 vendors underneath it. <laughs> yeah. And so to create a a comprehensive user experience for a site person or for a CRA or for the sponsor, like that's just really difficult to do. You end up jumping in and out of lots of systems uh, all the time. And as a result, a lot of things fall through the cracks between those systems or a lot of time is spent in Excel trying to put together a picture when um, when maybe there's, there's a better way moving forward. Well, Mike, I mean... We could nerd out on this stuff for like three more hours, but um, I know you got to go and we got to do more of these because I think this is the first time I actually had you on my show. Yeah, no, this is this is the first me. I really appreciate you bringing me onto the platform. I I read your your book several years ago, uh, and thank it you. was like, thank you for that. Uh, that was a, a huge on ramp uh, to to like learn about the industry from the site perspective. And I really do want to give you huge kudos for regularly putting out content. I, I have all of, all of YouTube videos downloaded on my phone and I watch them. <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, I go back to the old ones and rewatch them a couple of times because as someone that builds things, um, like I, you know, you like to build things, but in order to build the right thing, you, you have to really put yourself in that person's shoes and understand like what, what their fears are, what their hopes are and like what, what like is important to them and it it's hard to get access to sites uh, and um, you know be there while the patient is there, sort of thing. And so mm -hmm. your your content has been instrumental in shaping Versatrial, and I'm sure shaping many other solutions in the space. So thank you for putting out all the great content. Uh, thank you, and thank you for making Versatrial. I mean, it's an awesome product. We use it every day. It's free, and the staff knows how to use it. They see the value in it. Um, and the feasibility thing's awesome. I know you guys are rolling out a bunch of new stuff. Somebody yeah. was emailing me. I forgot her name. I'm sorry, but I got to get back to you. Uh, uh, Lindsay. Our, there uh, you go. Lindsay, Lindsay. I've, I've been busy, Lindsay, but yeah, like I know it's cool stuff. I just got to get around to it. But um, 
there's a lot of lots of new things you guys have going on too. So we'll have you back on and yeah. Discuss for anyone some that's of those listening, if, if you have password woes, uh, definitely check out Versatile. We're we're looking to help you with that. Some of those password challenges as well. Man, yes, we all do. Uh, thank you, Mike. Thank you, everybody from Guru Nation. Everybody, go connect with Mike on LinkedIn. His LinkedIn is underneath the video and in the show notes. If you are listening, thanks again, Mike. Thanks, Adam. Really appreciate it.